Thank you for being here. My name is Matt Starrett, and I'll be reading scripture this morning. As a church, we're starting a new study in Exodus. And uh, so our passage this morning is Exodus 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Exodus 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt from, with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt, and then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there were, arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Thank you, Matt. Good morning, Community Grace. Hey, it's good to be here together. Welcome back, Grace students. Are there any of those out there today? All right, school starts tomorrow. Praise God for that. Oh, like Matt said, we are kicking off a new series, and I'm going to begin with this story that you'll understand as we go how it relates to each one of us. I once read a story of a marketplace in northern India where people brought their wares to trade and sell. One old farmer brought in a whole covey of quail that he had caught. These are birds that can be eaten. <clears throat> he hoped to get the attention of passersby by tying the bird's feet to a stick in the ground. He had taught the quail to walk in a circle. But nobody cared. Nobody wanted them. Then came along a devout Hindu holy man of the region. He took pity on these birds walking in monotonous circles. He told the farmer, I want to buy them all. And when he had paid for them, he said, now I want you to set them all free. The farmer looked at him strangely and said, what's that, sir? You heard me. Cut the strings from their legs and turn them loose. Set them all free. The old farmer shrugged bent down and snipped the strings off the quail. You'd have thought they would have flown away, but they didn't. They simply continued marching around and around in a circle. A little frustrated, the Hindu man shooed them off, but they only landed some distance away and resumed their predictable march. Freed from their bonds, they just kept going round and round in circles as if still tied and not set free. As Matt said, we're kicking off a brand new sermon series from the book of Exodus today. We're going to be talking about slavery and freedom and many more things, which I'll explain in a minute. But I want to plant this seed in your mind right now to start thinking of ourselves in terms of these quail. What do we allow to bind us and not set, be set free from? Well, we're going to say a lot more about that today. Our series is called Moving the World to Freedom. And I hope that you're excited about getting back into a book of the Bible and going verse by verse, chapter by chapter through it. I know I am. 
So you might be asking, why Exodus exactly? It's the second book of the Bible. Why, why are we going there? And I just want to give you a little bit of an answer to that. It was about, you know, it was in 2019, about a year and a half ago, uh, that I first started tuning in to Community Grace, what was happening here in Warsaw, Indiana, when I was living in Washington State. And at that time, interim pastor Tiberius Rata was teaching through the book of Genesis. That's when I started tuning in, and many of you remember that season. And so as I was pray, prayerfully considering what Old Testament book to, to start 2021 with, I looked at several, and then I opened Exodus as I remembered that. Like, what would that look like to continue in the book of Exodus? And as I read it, again, with those fresh eyes, I was overwhelmed by how perfect and relevant this would be, and I believe that was God's clear direction for where we are now. And I didn't even know at the time what 2021 would really be looking like. But all the more so, I praise God that he's brought us to this series, this study on the book of Exodus. So if you haven't yet, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1, and I'm going to begin with some background here so we can really place ourselves in this text. That's what we do with the living, breathing word of God. Let me say, what we know about Exodus is that it is a spectacular, hair-raising escape of the nation of Israel, miraculous events. And from this event, the Exodus event, an enormous part of the Judeo-Christian faith and practice comes. It was born from this event. But this book is so much more than just an epic adventure. It teaches us so much about God himself. And we want to talk about relevance. Whatever the trial or suffering or questions or doubt, whatever you're going through in life, the best thing that you can do is understand God better and know God better. And come to know him better. And so we're going to do that. Not only that, it reveals, the book of Exodus reveals much about human nature as we understand ourselves better and dynamics with other people better and the purpose that God has for us in this world. But last but not least, our eyes will be open further to God's bigger story of the entire universe. See, if you grew up in church like I did, I would say the majority of kids grow up, they go to Sunday school and they learn these stories, and, and we have this false understanding of, of the Bible that it's many stories in this big book, and that's not true. It's one story, one story with many parts, and guess what? You and I are still living it. So we're going to uh, have a very clear dose of understanding about God's bigger story and where we fit into it. And you know what we'll learn is that it revolves around, all of it revolves around Jesus. So because of that, let me talk about the gospel and what we're going to see of the gospel in the book of Exodus. Yes, the gospel is throughout every page of scripture. In Exodus, we have the words salvation and redemption used for the very first time. And our salvation and redemption in Christ means everything to us. This is where it was born. So as Christians, Exodus is not some far-off story. Understand this. This is our story. This is our story. God acting on our behalf today. We're going to see God raise Moses to be Egypt's deliverer, Israel's deliverer from Egypt. And we're going to see that Moses, in that way, is a type of the ultimate deliverer, Jesus Christ. We're going to see the gospel in its pages. He's one of many, oh, Moses is one of many Old Testament foreshadows of the ultimate deliverer. Even Jude, the New Testament epistle in verse 5, states this. It says, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, 
that it was Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. See what I'm saying? This is all one big story, and it's our story. So I want to make this connection early and often so that we know as we get into it. Now, the Exodus part of this big story is filled with all kinds of twists and turns, and we're going to see all kinds of situations that we learn from, learn about God, learn about ourselves, learn about ethics. And we're going to start that a little bit today, in fact. We're going to see lots of types of literature. We're going to see epic narrative, some law, some legal provisions, including the Ten Commandments, construction plans of the tabernacle, and the rich meaning in every single part of them. How Jesus fulfills the sacrifices and ritual instructions, ethics of all kinds. This book contains, listen to this, the launch of worship of God, which he identifies as the purpose of it all. He set the people free, he states, and we'll see this over and over, so that they can worship him. And that's still why he's setting people like you and me today through the blood of Jesus Christ free from sin and death, so that we can worship him, which is for us. Now let's forget, get familiar with the setting of the book of Exodus. If you have your Bibles open, you see the opening seven verses, which Matt just read, and these verses connect the book directly to Genesis, the continuation of this story. So Genesis which means origins. It starts with the origins of the whole universe, and then it goes to the, from the calling of Abraham to the origins of the nation of Israel. And now here we pick up. Here's where Exodus starts. 400 years earlier, when Jacob, the patriarch, whose name was changed to Israel, remember that? They had to move because of the famine to Egypt, where Joseph, his son, had become, by the providence of God, the second most powerful in command under Pharaoh himself, and that wasn't just for his own gain. No, that was, as it was revealed, for the continuation of Judah, from which the nation of Israel came and from which the seed of Abraham came, the Messiah, Jesus. All part of God's big plan. Joseph's death was around 1805 B.C., and Exodus picks up 400 years later, after the Israelites, who had generally lived peacefully and been welcomed in Egypt, they had been prolific in having children, and they had grown from 70 men to between 2 and 3 million people, as the census identifies at that point. And the stage is set here in chapter 1 for the next huge moment in God's bigger story. If you didn't get a bulletin, I'm going to encourage you to, to have a sermon notes in front of you. Would you just raise your hand? The guys are walking around, and they'll give you one. To me, this is always worth it, so you can have this at least to follow along. Israel finds themselves in slavery in chapter 1, and God determines to free his people from oppression so that they could worship him. This is the story. This is our story as well. God sets us free to worship him. Today's title is The Need for Freedom, and we're going to establish that in chapter 1 by looking at four types of slavery that are identified in the beginning, the outset of the story, that are still alive and active today, sadly. We're going to see that only God can free us from them. So here we go. The first one that we see is that God frees us from political slavery. What a time to talk about politics, right? Let's do it. 
As we open uh, chapter 1 to verse 8, again, in, the verse, in verses 1 through 7, we saw that the nation had grown to a, to a nation, no longer a clan, but a nation, two or three million people interspersed with Egypt. Here's what happens as political slavery enters their existence. Verses 8 through 10. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, talking politics here now, if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So what's happening here? In Egypt, Israelites were immigrants, and things were okay for a long time. They were welcomed at first, and they coexisted. But things change when there's political tension, don't they? Things change, sometimes overnight. The Israelites, because of some political concerns here, became discriminated against because this new king arose who didn't know Joseph. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't know his history books. He did. The word know there means he did not acknowledge them. He hardened his heart against them. And they discriminated against the Israelites because of these things. They were seen as a threat to their security and a threat to their power. So no more peace for them. Let us deal shrewdly with them. And that's where political slavery and oppression begins. Certain groups are marginalized by those who are in power, often by social classes, racism. And then that very division of social classes and racism creates a division that governments exploit even further. And we've seen, we've seen this kind of thing play out in virtually every nation, every country, in all the world history, all around the world. America is no, no exception. Some people groups are oppressed for these reasons. Now, as God's people, followers of Christ, we are called to fight those injustices. Okay, we don't add to them. Amen? All right, so we know our role in these things. We're aware that that happens all around us, all around the world. But in that process of standing for truth and proclaiming God's word in all these situations, guess what happens to Christians? Christians become the marginalized ones, the oppressed ones. And you know what? As we go about in our business proclaiming the truth of God in grace and love, we can, be rest, we can rest assured that we're following Christ and being obedient to him. And that is our calling, no matter what kind of oppression arises against us. And we'll talk about that as, as we continue. But when political oppression arises, remember this. We didn't sign up for a Christianity, a Christian faith, that called us to be comfortable all the time. Did anybody think you did? <laughs> um, the Bible never gives that impression. No, here's what it says. In fact, Jesus, the Savior who called us and saved us, said this, John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then in John 16, Jesus says this in the next chapter, I have said these things to you, why? That in me you would have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So when we face political oppression that's increasing in America, we don't need to be afraid or worried 
God sets us free from all that with his peace that he has already won the final victory. He has overcome the world. Now, we don't ignore it. We don't succumb to it. And we don't roll over. In fact, that's what's gotten, um, a lot of people will, will point this out, that's what's gotten America as far, as far down the road as it's come is the church being silent on things, rolling over, succumbing to the political pressure to not proclaim God's truth anymore. Well, guess what? As political persecution comes more and more, um, American Christians have been softened over the years. We haven't really had to face it, but as it comes, and it's coming, as we go further into 2021, guess what? Our muscles are going to be flexed. We're going to be stronger as a result of it. And we have each other, and we have the peace of Jesus Christ who wins the ultimate battle. Now, that's what we see political slavery right in the text. We're connecting with what's going on and what goes on all over the world right now. Let's, <laughs> let's uh, Pharaoh says, let us now deal shrewdly with them. Let's be ready for that, okay? All right, so that's what we are at the outset of Exodus. Now, as we move on in the text, we see another type of oppression enter the picture that we need to be aware of, and that's economic slavery. God frees us from economic slavery. This is profound. A lot of oppression in the world comes from the fact that those who are in power on any level profit from it. Okay, that could be an unfair boss. That could be a manipulative business partner or spouse in some cases. And there's a, there's a power trip on that. It could be a bully at school who's got something to gain, whether the sense of power or your lunch money. Okay? Or it could be a tyrannical government who through unfair taxation, heavy oppression of taxation and cronyism, that is, cronyism is the unjust favoring of some people at the expense of others who have no power to fight back. As we're talking, every level is this kind of economic oppression for those motivations. God has his eyes on all of it. Let's see where we're introduced to it in Exodus, verses 11 through 14. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they, the Israelite slaves, built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. Okay, so these few verses cover several years here, and we just hold on to that dynamic. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they responded, they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick, building buildings, cities, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So Pharaoh hated the Israelites politically and now found economic benefit in exploiting them for slave labor. Notice the language, heavy burdens, oppressed, bitter with hard service, ruthlessly made them work as slaves. This continues all over the world. Last week in Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, I mentioned that even right now today, worldwide, there are 40 to, six, 40 to 46 million slaves in the world today. These injustices are everywhere. Let me take a moment right now to look at some pictures just to help us again get our minds present in the text. Uh, we, when you look up Pith, uh, Pithom and Ram, Ramses, the cities, it's not exactly sure where they are, but you see these cities 
with this amazing architecture. And you just have to wonder, is this what the Israelite slaves had a hand in building? You see these kind of things, these structures all over the place. The pyramids and the sphinx, it's debated whether the Israelite slaves worked on building those. Now, I like this picture because it shows how much the city of Cairo has crept in all around. And it shows there's a lot of people for thousands of years have lived right around here. And so this helps us set our minds. And here's an artist's rendition of, of what a day-to-day life of a slave then who's building buildings and, and working in the fields all day long under heavy burdens and ruthless service looks like. So people on power, of power on every level, continue to use weak people, weaker people for their own selfish gains on every level. And I, I hope that none of us ever can be rightly accused of doing so to another person. Now, why do people do this? Why is there so much evil and injustice and oppression in the world? And let's call out the roots of this evil. It's in every one of our hearts. And we, know what, we need to know what we're fighting against. There's hunger for power. That's in there. There's hunger for control. That's in our hearts. There's exploiting people for financial gain. When we, when we don't see the value of other human beings, we think, well, we can gain from oppressing or exploiting other people's weaknesses. There's sexual perversion. That's the objectification of other people for our own pleasure. That's huge, and it's in our hearts, and it causes tremendous amount of oppression. Identify those things in your hearts. Now, God allows humans for a time to make these decisions. And all the while, he gives the opportunity to receive his grace, and people come out of that when they turn to Jesus But as a God of justice, in the end, he will judge, and that is part of our hope. He will judge all in righteousness. And he stands with the oppressed in the meantime, and he calls us, his people, to do the same. Throughout the pages of Scripture, let's just look at this one, Isaiah 1. He says to his people, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. He does not say just focus on your career or on your friends only or on video games. And honestly, I say video games because the missions that you accomplish on the video games are amazing these days. But what do they really accomplish at the end of the day? Nothing. When God has given us these real missions to fight injustices in the world, that's who we are as God's people. Now, We asked, what was God doing during the agony of the Israelites and all the oppressed in Egypt? Was he just sitting around doing nothing? And no, he was not. He was already preparing a deliverer. Up to now, we have been seeing the overall picture of the situation. And now we're going to zoom in on some details. Watch how the text does this. It's, it's going from the big picture now to some specific details. And in the next verses, 15 through 22, we see another serious form of slavery, and that is God frees us from social slavery. We've seen God's heart in political oppression and economic oppression, and now we see it in social oppression. The brutal treatment of the Israelites worsens with their oppressor, Pharaoh's evil decision in verses 15 through 16. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, 
and the other Pua. When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. So Pharaoh here enacted state-sponsored genocide. Is that still going on today? Absolutely, all over the world. In fact, the 20th century is well documented as the bloodiest century in all of human history. Kill the boys. Now, why did Pharaoh do this? It was for two purposes. One, it was, a, it was an attempt to slow down the growth of his enemies. And second, it was to strike fear in them and to fearmonger and have control by then. Same strategies as the oppressors today. If they can fearmonger you, they have you. And be sure, this worked on many of them. How could it not? Picture two, two three million people over a few years of this decree. That means this was before ultrasound. So every pregnant mom and family would spend nine months wondering if it's a boy would not be good news, but devastating news. So fear is oppressing them now. Well, these heroes arose in the midst of this, some women who stood up to the fear-mongering of Pharaoh. Instead of fearing their ruler, they feared God. Let's read these verses, 17 through 21. But the midwives, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said, why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And these women make you want to cheer, don't they? They stood against their oppressors. They feared God. They trusted him, and he delivered them and blessed them. This is really neat, but it raises some really interesting questions, questions of ethics. The first couple ethical questions that we'll have in the book happen right here. Now, ethics, again, in this case, is how to determine right and wrong in tricky situations. It's not always easy, is it? There's a lot of complexities. Let's look at what we have here. Some argue that these women lied and that a truly holy God, it would make sense, can't accept that. Makes sense. A truly holy God doesn't work that way. We see that in other scriptures, like when Rahab lied to protect the Israelites' spies. Now, Rahab's lie worked, but the question is, couldn't an all-powerful God have protected those spies even if she didn't lie? Ah, these are good questions. Of course, an all-powerful God could, and we hear that from missionary stories. Maybe you've heard some when they're smuggling Bibles into closed countries that would be against the law to have Bibles brought in, and, and you hear that we prayed, and the, and the police that opened the trunk just kind of stared and then closed the trunk and didn't even notice the trunk full of Bibles. You, you hear those kind of things. Now, God is an all-powerful God, and he can come through and protect when we don't break God's law. So what I want to just encourage you to do right now is don't go, this is an American thing, this pragmatism. I'm very pragmatic. I'm practical. That can lead you down the road of where the ends justify the means. Like, I'm going to sin here because in the big picture it'll be better for everybody. Mm -mm. That's not honoring God. That's breaking God's law. And that's not trusting. That's trusting you, not God. 
So we don't want to go down that road. But our calling is rather more like Daniel and his three friends to always obey God. Remember Daniel and his three friends? They did not yield to their rulers, and they made the choice. We're either going to watch God deliver us, or we're going to face the suffering for it. That is following Christ today, and that brings God glory. That much is clear. But what about these midwives? Look back in the text a little bit more closely. Did they actually dishonor God? There is another extremely relevant Christian ethic in play here, and that's what the apostles faced in the first century of the church. And we read about this in Acts 4 and 5, where the apostles were told to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus by their government. And what was the response? Chapter 5, verse 29 of Acts, they said, no, we must obey God rather than man. So you go back in this text in Exodus, and it honors these midwives and what they did for fearing and obeying God rather than fearing and obeying their earthly ruler who had overstepped his bounds. This is called civil disobedience today, and it's a very relevant topic. And it's an area of Christian ethics that we need to treat with extraordinary amounts of prayer, of biblical research, and caution. Our role is not to go cavalier, cavalierly into civil disobedience, but with tremendous amount of humility, following the word of God. But then, when following God's word, we do so with conviction and boldness in the face of whatever may come. This is how we, God's people, live in the face of social oppression, from being teased in the workplace or school, all the way to having our stuff taken away from us, taken away from us. This is how we respond right here. God is speaking to us on this journey. And I'm so grateful for this study in Exodus during 2021. I don't know what's coming exactly, but God does. And we're going to live it. Well, here's what came of the Hebrews, verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile but you shall let every daughter live. So Pharaoh became infuriated with the midwives. The midwives didn't work, so now I'm calling in my army, and they're going to go kill every Hebrew baby boy, throw them into the Nile River to be drowned. You see, the powers that be in charge exploiting people and the spiritual forces behind them, they get angry and they get nasty when we stand against them. And he kicked up the heat, brought his army in, They'll flex their muscles against us, and for a time, things may get worse, and there may be pain and loss in our obeying God. But God comforts his people in it, and afterward, he shares his glory with us, we who follow him. And that brings us, brothers and sisters, to the final slavery from which only God frees, and that is spiritual slavery. We're going to see in the first 15 chapters of the book of Exodus this amazing rescue story of God's deliverance, saving Israel from their oppressors. But at the outset here, as we wrap up chapter 1 and set the, the stage for it all, I want you to realize that God's goal was far more than just getting Israel out of Egypt. It was to get Egypt out of the Israelites. 
And that's a bigger task to have our whole hearts and to get Egypt out of our hearts. And it will prove to be a bigger task than simply getting the Israelites out of the nation of Egypt. We continue to turn our hearts back to Egypt, back away from God. God stated again his reason for moving the world to freedom. And that same reason holds today so that we will be freed to worship him, which is the best for us as well. Gives us an eternity worth looking forward to. God's desire was much bigger than freeing Israel from political and economic and social slavery. He wanted Israel like he wants us and calls all mankind to be freed to know him and to worship him. All humans begin life as slaves to sin. This is biblical theology. All of us, all humans, we have the sin nature passed down from our fathers. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you want to study more about this, study Romans chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8. Let me just look at two verses from Romans 6 in which the Apostle Paul says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, he's talking to Christians now, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness, which is another way to say you have become free in Christ. As Jesus said in John 8, 34 through 36, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And no more need to be a quail going around in the same old circles in your life that you've been going into. Jesus has set you free from all of those. Let's talk about what those may be as we look at our next steps. I just I wanted to word it in such a way that you can personalize this first next step, and that is to commit your full trust to God today in blank. You fill in the blank. What is the area of the type of bondage that you're in? You fill in the blank. What is oppressing you right now? Failure? That, that fear of failure or the fear of any other kind? You're trapped in fear? Maybe it's sadness, depression that you can't get out of, or abuse that has shaped your life. You need to be set free from that. Addictions of all kinds. We live in a nation in a time, there's so many things that can enslave us to addiction. Does that have its grip on you? Maybe it's pain in your life that you can't get through, can't get over, or regret about your past, or doubt about God his existence or his love or true forgiveness, that you can have it, that you can be worthy of it. Maybe it's distrust or unforgiveness that you're holding on to and won't let go and it has you in its grip or lust that never goes away. What has you under slavery? Here's the good news. In the infinite blood of Jesus Christ and the infinite power of him and the infinite power of the Holy Spirit who works in you, That is, that you can be freed right now by trusting in God for it. So write that down. 
or just pray, if you don't want to write it down, pray a, a prayer of commitment to God. I'm going to turn this over to you, God, right now. Through the power of Jesus, I'm going to give it to you. And you know what? Somebody in this room may be delivered from that this very day. If you are, he does that. Would you share that with us so we can celebrate that? For others, and I would say most of us, and most of the biblical testimony is that this is a, this is a longer process. You give this over to God right now, and it will be a journey, a journey in which we grow closer and closer to God all along the way and experience the richness of his grace that is inexhaustible. It doesn't end. That's what you have the opportunity staring right at you right here as you write that down or just pray a prayer of commitment to God this very day. And if you would write it on your communication card, you can be assured of our prayers for you too, which are powerful, and we'd love for you to share that with us. You'll be prayed for this week. If it's the need to trust Jesus as your Savior today, you just haven't really done that, whether you grew up in church or not, if you haven't done that, be set free eternally right now. Repenting of your sin and self-sufficiency and trust in Christ. Share that with us as well. We want to rejoice and walk with you in this spiritual journey for the rest of our lives. And then to get the most out of the series... I'm going to just ask flat out everybody to plan on reading Exodus at least twice during this series. I would say once, just read it all the way through. And then each week, you can read the text that we're going through the next week. And a church that walks with the Holy Spirit through the living, breathing Word of God all together by doing this, it's going to strengthen everybody this year in 2021. So please do that. Read Genesis 2 so you can get the background of what led us up here and see God work through his word in your life. Next week, God prepares a deliverer. But for now, let's pray. Lord, we've covered some things that are absolutely heartbreaking, and that's good. We don't want our heads buried in the sand anymore. We don't want to have distractions keeping us from the purpose for which you saved us, to worship you, to bring your light, the gospel, all around the world, wherever you give us influence. I pray that nobody here takes on all the burdens of the world as those are not our burdens to carry. They're yours. But you have given us certain burdens to carry. I love how Jesus told us, share my yoke. He, he shares those load with, that load with us. And I, I'm so thankful. I know my heart is filled with peace because Jesus is right there with us all the time, sharing our burdens. Lord, I know your spirit is talking to each one of us individually, uniquely, specially, meeting us right where we are in life. I pray that we will give you our whole commitment and that you'll guide this church every step of the way as we confront these realities in life until you call us home to be with you and share your glory with you. We thank you, and we're going to sing and celebrate now because you are entirely worth it. In Jesus' name, amen.